Okay, good morning. Thank you guys for coming. Um, I think you know me. My name is Dave Burns, and get the privilege of being the director of adult ministries here. Phil, wake up. I mean, it's contagious. Don't, don't be yawning. All right. So here's what, this, here's what this hour isn't. This seminar is, in about, is and not about grief. Surviving and thriving through extraordinary loss um, is a complex thing, and it's far too large for just a, an hour seminar. But this discussion is about how to come alongside someone who is grieving, including yourself. Because oftentimes we can just not know how to navigate that uh, in, meaningful, in meaningful ways. And uh, one of the key things, here's what this can be. It can be interactive, so stop me at any time. But I, I'd love to get through these because what I've learned in my own grieving times over the years and what I've learned in the course of, of being a pastor and grief care, whether it's in a church or, or outside of church, is um, uh, so many things are not related to death as well. And we can get caught up and just look at grieving as a part of a death process by losing a friend, by losing a loved one. But really, it's any loss. And um, it, it can be of dreams. It can be of relationships. It can be of uh, lifestyle, uh, career, loss of a job or career change, um, physical ability. Um, I have a lot of friends who uh, are my age. I'm 71 now. And, and I look at friends of mine that are losing some of, uh, or are getting diseases and things such as that, that there's a grief process. What was is no longer, and it doesn't look like I can go back. So how do I walk through that process? Um, significance, identity. I mean, there are so many things going on. My wife's a guidance counselor for the local high school, and just everything that's gone on, for sexual identity, particularly in teens, because I'll actually have Alita Lewis here next week speaking about it, uh, trans and transgender and trying to find their way and self-harming and uh, the depression and mortality rate because of suicide for people in those kind of, there's a lot of grief that goes along with that as well. And it may not just be the death part, it's just struggling with who am I? Um, Self-esteem, innocence, things that may be taking place in your home, uh, kids aren't going the way that you wanted them to, whatever it is, it's all part of a grief process. And um, so let me, let me just tell you a little bit about my journey, and I think a number of you know it. Uh, actually, the reason I'm here is because my first wife passed away. Uh, it'll be 18 years, August 16th. And I was co-pastoring a church in Southern California. I've got three biological kids. And my daughter, um, who had worked on staff here for five summers uh, under this na lady named Leslie Cooper, a year after Terry passed away, my, my late wife, and um, I was already contracted to lead a week of family camp up here, lead worship and teach some breakout seminars. And my daughter comes to me and says, Dad, there's a woman I want you to meet at Mount Hermon. I said, I'm not interested. God just hasn't stirred my heart in that direction, honey. She grabbed me, all foot, four foot, eight and a half of her, said, her name is Leslie. I want you to meet her, date her, and marry her, Dad. And, you know, coming out of a 22-year-old daughter who absolutely 
idolized her mom, and my, and my wife and I had 25 years of an incredible relationship. Uh, it was like, okay, so what's the deal? And uh, she said, well, I worked for her for five summers. She went through a horrible divorce. Mount Hermon came to her rescue, changed locks on doors for everything else. And she's been raising her kids as a single mom for all these years. So the logical next step was to say, kids, how many? And so she wouldn't even, she just went, Here's her facial expression. And I said, five kids. All right, your brother, Josh, uh, is going into his second year of college. How old, in 19, how old is her youngest? And she said, 11. And uh, so I said, well, you want me to meet and date a woman I've never met before? And you told me that her dad's, their dad's not in the picture, so uh, you want me to raise a family again? No, God does, Dad. <laughs> so the beauty of that whole thing is I have a very unique blended family. Uh, we have eight kids between the two of us, but one of those has gone home to be with the Lord. And some of you know uh, or have met Sarah or have watched her lead in worship at whether that's huge women's events here or couples retreats or on the platform during family camps. But she passed away 14 months ago from a, a rare disease she had. And, um, and so her husband, who's a preaching pastor, who actually will be part of the worship team, and he'll co-teach this with me next week. Uh, and I've got two grandkids from, from Sarah uh, we've been navigating her death and grieving that whole process for the last 14 months. And, again, it's not always about death. So it was previous to that, watching her struggle, watching her body fail her, and grieving the things that she could no longer do that she craved to do with her kids and whatnot. So it's that's also a huge part of the grieving process. In some ways, well... It was COVID. We couldn't go into the hospital. And December 2nd, she was uh, placed in there. December 4th, she calls me on my birthday, and it's like 11.45 at night. I'm asleep and sings me happy birthday over the phone and then says, you know, Daddy, I love you. And, and that was the last I ever heard her voice because the next morning they put her on an incubator and she was un unable to talk. Now, the cool thing about this story is she led her nurse to the Lord by using a grease board. So when we, they called us at 3 in the morning on December 28th and said, she's not doing well and is not going to make it through the morning. Uh, and this is Charlie calling me, my son-in-law, and I said, I have to ask this question because I couldn't live myself if I didn't. Are we able to come up? He says, I have no idea. Let me talk to the doctor. They're letting me in for the first time. So he calls back and says, she led this nurse to the Lord. And the nurse says, I don't care. You just tell them to get up here. She's, they're coming in. And the, the reason I'm telling you this story is the beauty of it is she, we got to spend the last three hours with her. And the doctor said, talk to her. She's cognitive. She can hear you. It's just everything else is failing. And um, when Chifani passed, I looked over and there's, there's this big grin on my son-in-law's face. <laughs> I said, Charles? <laughs> and, and he says, she's home. And, sorry. <laughs> he said, C 
can you imagine the open arms of Jesus receiving her and her homecoming to be with Terry, my late wife, and her mom? And she's free from the bondage of that body that we've been grieving for so long that was failing her. And that was the beginning of part of the healing process for us, realizing that in the midst of grief, we can have gratitude. And that was a key thing. I remember uh, reading a book on grief years ago when Terry died in the first six months afterwards, and there was a phrase in there that just stuck out at me and really impacted me. And it was, and it was from a woman who had lost her husband who was in ministry in a plane flight, and she said, the God of the good old days can be the God of the good new days if you, if you let him. And it's the idea, and I've seen this over time, whether it's divorce situations and people trying to navigate that and move on to the rest of their life or somebody losing a job. Sometimes we hold so tightly to what we had without opening our hands to what God has for us in the future. And, and um, so that's, that's my backstory. And we've had a lot of other griefs that have taken place. Um, you know, we have a large military ministry that comes here. And here's a chaplain right up front here uh, with the Air Force. And I've watched and heard and hear from guys like you, Matt, those who have been on the fields holding people as they pass and having to deal with their families afterwards. I have wives that come to me and just say, my husband, I'm just grieving from what he was to what he is now because he's still going through post-traumatic stress disorder or he's lost a limb and life looks very, very different from what it was. And those are all kinds of issues. So those are, you know, physical abilities, self-esteem, all those kinds of things. Dreams that were aren't any longer and what was normal, we're looking for a new norm. And that's part of the grieving process as well. Um, grieving people experience anger. You've heard this. Guilt and blaming. Shock. Intense emotion. Confusion and sadness. Um, it, it's, one of the, it's one of the key things that we should never avoid grief for because those are part of the processes and there's really no right way to do it and there's no set timetable for a grieving person to plan for or expect when they're going to get through it i mean it's like um somebody's already stopped me this week How's Sarah doing? How's Charlie? You know, we met them at a couple's retreat, and we just love her worship leading and everything else. And then I have to relive the story. And so it brings it up again, and it just surfaces to the top. So in some ways, you have gratitude for their life if it's someone that's been deceased. But it's always a reoccurring thing, honestly, that'll last a lifetime. Um, and, and the, the key thing not to do is to walk away from it. Uh, avoiding grief can be physically, emotionally, and spiritually destructive. 
and ways that it's shown that they categorize with grief counselors as well as psychologists, um, that people step away from doing grief work include intellectualizing it, stuffing it, being isolated from other people, even things that he was talking about in the life of a church this morning of being isolated and stepping away from the fellowship of the believers. Sleeping, drugs, alcohol, uh, fantasizing and daydreaming, what could I have done differently? Um, my youngest son, Josh, who will be up here helping lead worship next week, um, Terry died when he was 18. He was going into his freshman year at Azusa, and he was getting ready to start in two weeks. And we watched him. And even when I remarried um, two years later, Leslie, who is a guidance counselor for the local high school, watched Josh. And we talked about it. She says, I don't believe he's ever really fully processed his mom's death. And that was a huge concern of mine because I had seen that because he was in an avoidance mode and a guilt mode. He was engaged to be married. Um, and, and what happened was he called me from San Clemente, uh, where, where we owned a home down there previously. And he said, Dad, I'm curled up in a ball in a fetal position. I do not know what's going on. And he's just crying over the phone. He says, I have no control over my body right now. I don't know what's going on. And I knew right away. And so we said, son, we need to get you up here. And I need to get you if you're willing to do it. And we have two dear friends that knew Josh really well, and Josh knew them, that are psychotherapists, uh, that are Christian counselors. And he gave them permission to talk to me, even though we knew what it was. And they said, it's a deep, deep grieving process. And I had talked with Josh, and in his avoidance mode, there was guilt. And he said, Dad, I just feel so guilty because when Mom was in her last weeks of life, I wanted to go and be with my friends. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. When mom was in her last weeks of life, we were so thankful you had friends to go and be with and not just have to be there in the midst of this all the time. Because guess what? Every other weekend when you were in college, or I mean in high school, before you even went to college, um, all your friends would be over here and we'd, and we'd be hanging out. That brought life to mom into our household, but he didn't understand that. So he had to go through a whole process. He was engaged to be married, ended up breaking off the marriage because he realized the counselor just said, you're just not healthy and this is gonna take some time. Now he's doing amazing and he's engaged to be married. Um, but he avoided grief by doing some of these things of blaming, of stuffing, of intellectualizing, or if I had only done such and such. So, again, stop me at any time. Feel free. Um, you've all heard that there are stages of grief. And what you may not know is that they are not necessarily linear or sequential. And you may skip some and just keep cycling through others. Uh, many times. There's denial. There's anger. anger there's bargaining. There's depression and acceptance. 
And um, in denial, you can really deny the, the reality of the situation. You can block, block words and hide from the facts. And I'm going to shut this off here. Somebody's relentless. Um, depression, there's sadness and regret and trying to say goodbye to loved ones. I mean, one of the key things that I've learned in my own life of working through grief, uh, and particularly because of the death of a loved one, is asking the question, for years it was, what would Terry have me do? You know, and for, for my kids, my wife was hilarious. My late wife was hilarious. So she said, do, never, do not ever get in the way of dad remarrying. I want him to remarry and to love again. And then she handed, handed them a yellow sheet of paper. She says, and there was a whole list of names on there. She said, but this is his do not date list. <laughs> but she gave them permission to understand, let dad love again, come alongside, love his new spouse. Well, they introduced me and set me up with her. It's a, it's a, it's a longer story, and I won't go there. Uh, uh, but those ideas of sadness and regret and saying goodbye and what can I do now, I, I always ask the question, and particularly in this last year, what, how would Sarah want our response to be? And it would be to push on, to move forward, not to cling to what we just had, but to open our hand to what God has in store for us now in the future. And for me, it's loving, unconditionally loving my grandkids and my son-in-law, hoping and giving him permission to remarry again, because that's what Sarah would want for him. And I've seen so many times when that has not taken place in marriages, whether it's through a divorce or whether it's a death, because I've got a, you know, a couple right now that are going through just a really tragic divorce, and there's a huge grieving process going on that's going to continue into the future as the kids just navigate this, what's happened with mom and dad. Um, you know, there's an anger stage that's directed at dying or deceased, and that can really be directed at the Lord. Why would you allow this to take place in one, one of our lives? Or why did you allow me to lose my job that I'm banking on, uh, literally, that I'm banking on? Uh, why did you allow all this stuff with my kids to be taking place? And on and on and on. And there's a blame game and an anger toward the Lord for it. Um, why couldn't the doctors have done something and got this diagnosed earlier? I hear this constantly. Uh, and then there's the bargaining part. If only I had uh, tried to do something different to change our ways, maybe this wouldn't have fallen apart. That might be true. But what is past is past. And therefore, you've got to move on to the future. You know, it's, it's one of the things in, in, in marital counseling that I face constantly where I've got, say, I'll just say the husband uh, has caused a lot of grief, is not willing to go through counseling, 
and the divorce takes place, and they don't, basically, they're not getting fixed. They're not going through a process where it's been revealed to them through counseling and through therapy that here's some of the issues that you may not understand that led to the demise of your marriage, and this is baggage that you will carry forward into the next relationship if you're not willing to, and then a second divorce happens. And it causes just more grief. And those are issues that have really got to be focused on in, in all kinds of relationships that cause grief to take place. Um, acceptance is a, is a stage, and that's where I'm at. Um, accepted the fact that, yeah, I, I never signed up for losing my first wife after 25 years of marriage. But was so thankful and accepting of the Lord that I was able to open my hand to him. And now, I get, now I've been loving an, an, this other woman together who's once again called my wife. And, uh, well, July 1st will be 16 years. And I've gotten to be a father to a kid, to five kids, who didn't have a good father. And the three of them don't even talk to him at all. And we've worked through trying to reconcile those types of things. But because I didn't hold on tight to what I had, I opened my hand to what God had for me. It's created a whole new beautiful chapter in my life. And so that's acceptance of uh, the regret has passed and I haven't, I'm not resisting or prolonging that because I'm opening my hand. Any questions at all? I'm talking fast so we can leave time to, to get into some of this. When reaching out to a person who is grieving, I read this in a book and I thought, well, let me, let me read this again. Then I understood. When reaching out to a person who is grieving, doing or saying something is more important than what you do or say. In other words, unless you're saying something stupid. But in other words, being there shows that you care. Um, you know, practical help for when I lost Terry and then, and then when, when Sarah passed uh, almost a year and a half ago. Uh, practical help is the most valued thing when it's possible. And it's, and it's really a gift of time. Um, that allows them space and freedom to do the work of grief and be with loved ones, people who are friends and family who care about them. It's coming alongside. You know, you think about the stuff that you normally have to do, uh, whether it's housework, yard work, uh, automobile stuff, pet care, transportation, uh, meals, grocery shopping, all those kinds of things for somebody who, who's in the midst of grief and maybe so deep in it that they really can't do it for themselves, that you could be just a humongous gift for them by just coming alongside. And also being a good listener, and we'll get into that as well. And I was so intrigued by the fact that uh, I didn't, you know, it says don't wait to be asked, just do it. Just sign up. You know, oftentimes if, if someone's passed, there'll be somebody as a key, key person that's saying, hey, let's do a meal train. 
you know, that sort of thing. Or if there's cost involved, if you'd like to give this, that, and the other, and to come alongside. Um, what, what I've really found is one of the most important and valuable gifts you can give is the gift of prayer. They might not even know it. Or you can send them a note in a card to say so occasionally. And say what you're praying about as well. The Lord's leading me to pray in this direction for you specifically. And it's at this point, it's the greatest gift I can give you. If you ever want to talk, I have an open ear, and I would love to listen and just be able to come alongside. You know, you can tell them what you're learning or experiencing when you're hearing from God as you intercede for them. That said, here are some things you don't do or say. Don't jump friendship levels. That means if you're not really a good friend and with them on a regular basis, reach out to them, but don't just try and be there constantly and constantly calling because you didn't do it in the past. You want to reach out. You want to be there for them, but that's what it means by not jumping the friendship levels. Let their close friends do a lot of the work for them. Because um, there might even be some guilt association on our part where I wish I had been a better friend. Now's my chance. Well, be cautious there. Uh, don't use cliches or platitudes. Don't say things that smack of bad theology. Don't minimize it like, well, it was meant to be. You know, and uh, God needed that person in heaven or whatever it was. Or there'll be a new job to look for and those kinds of things. Um, you know, and don't give scripture references without the verse or the gist of the thought of why you're doing it. Um, uh, what, what's the one that so many people use, and forgive me if you've used it before, uh, Romans 8.28? Uh, quote it for me, anybody? Yeah, God's working all things throughout for good. Somebody in the depth of grief, honestly, they just don't want to hear that. <laughs> no matter how true it is, they don't want to hear that. Um, the thing I learned to live my life while from when Terry passed away is because Again, I'm questioning God. I'm not angry at God. I really didn't go through the severity of an anger stage. But at the same time, I finally came to the point where my new life verse was Isaiah 55.8. For uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And I finally figured out, okay, I love and worship a sovereign God who's in control of the universe, who knows what's best for me, who's allowed things to transpire in my life. And therefore, I have to be careful not to trust him because my thoughts aren't his thoughts. His ways aren't my ways. And you just, you kind of go, okay, I surrender that to you, Lord from the standpoint of everything I'm doing, whatever kind of grief it is, whether it's death, whether it's loss of job, whether it's sickness, um, whatever it might be. Um, you know, COVID's been a huge thing for impacting lives uh, in both positive and negative ways. Um, there's an old adage that my dad always used to tell me, son, be aware that crisis breeds opportunity. 
you can either whine and just wallow in the midst of the crisis, or you can see opportunities to do stuff. And do stuff for others, do stuff for your family. And for so many people, what we heard of, and it worked two ways, and my wife, being a guidance counselor at the local high school, deals with all these families constantly. And for some of them was, this is the first time in a long time where we're sitting down to have meals together every stinking day. And there's conversation around the table. I feel like I actually know my kids better than I've ever known them before. The pendulum swings. I'm not used to being around my spouse this much. You know, everybody's working. And there's conflict, and we're not sure what to do. And my kids don't, you know, it's just trying to get to open, them to open up. And they're depressed because they're not with their friends. And trying to do all this school stuff online, you know the whole drill. You know what I mean? You know where I'm going. Zoom call after Zoom call. It's during the midst of COVID, we were shut down for, for a year and a half. I got so frustrated because my wife's the guidance counselor, and I have three other kids that are in the school district teaching. So because we have such good Wi-Fi and we've got a, a sizable home up here, everybody's in my house on Zoom calls at one time. And I said, forget this. I just went to my office up here, and, I, and there was no one around. So I did all my work out of there just so I could hear myself and hear myself think and listen to the Lord if I'm reading the Word, whatnot, instead of you know, all, the, all the background noise of Zoom. But you know, the other side of that, we've seen families fall apart in the midst of COVID, and there's grieving times there. And we're dealing with families where grief is huge, where there's a wife that doesn't want to be out on the streets with her kids who's living out of the back of an RV vehicle right now because they can't afford rents in the area. There, there's ways to come alongside those people in grief, whether it's financial or opening up your house, as we've done, just to people that you don't really know but they're still, they're still the Lord's kids. Um, <clears throat> One of the most important things you can do, if not the single most important thing, is to listen. Everybody's got a story. You guys, there's not a person in here who hasn't gone through some depth of grief in one way or another. And listening to their story is the most important thing. Not passive listening, but really active listening. Be attentive to what they're saying. Active listening is the art of being fully present and engaging in deliberate listening. Deliberate listening. That allows the person to know that you are both hearing and understanding both the content of their speech and the emotion attached to it. Can I read this again? Active listening and I'll tell you why this is so important, is the art of being fully present and engaging in deliberate listening that allows the person, that person that's in grief, to know that you are both hearing and understanding both the content of their speech and the emotion that's attached to it. This is not just hard. It's extremely hard to do. And honestly, most of us are terrible at it. It's, it's so easy to listen and be formulating in your own brain what your responses could to be, and you're not really listening fully intently to what they're saying and the emotion behind it. Um, 
Active listening is truly a skill that must be practiced. And here are some of the simple steps. Pay attention. Look at the speaker directly. You know, they say eyes are the window to your soul. Peer into their eyes and allow them to be able to peer into yours. Uh, so that they don't just see that you're distracted and you're trying to think of what a response, or you're so uncomfortable with what they're sharing that you're fully distracted. Um, pay attention to their body language. Um, if they're talking about hard issues at work that are just depressing them, uh, watch what they're saying. Try to be an encouragement to them, but make sure you're listening to the intent of what they're saying and the emotion that's in their voice and their body language as well. Because that's, it's, for years I've heard it, one of the greatest gifts um, that people ever gave me was just sit, look at me, and listen to me. And I was able to share, and what it is is it's taking part of the burden of that grief off the person's shoulder because they're able to share with you a really truly they, th they think to themselves, I finally have someone who knows what I'm really going through because they've sat, they've listened, they've looked, they've prayed for me. Um, turn off your stinking cell phone. Don't even use that. I mean, if, if, you know, just stick it in your pocket and don't have it there. Don't allow anything to interrupt. Sorry. the conversation. Show that you are listening. Use your own body language and gestures to convey uh, your attention. Not occasionally. Using facial expressions. Yeah, just like that. So that they understand that, yes, you are really listening. You're, you're nodding because you're hearing what they're saying. And note your posture and make sure that it's open and inviting for them to continue to share with you. Um, encourage the speaker to continue with comments like, yes, uh-huh, go on, I wanna hear more, please share. Then you can provide feedback because they'll feel as though, okay, I've been well listened to. And you can actually reflect back on what they've said and paraphrase uh, and you know, by saying the words, what I'm hearing is, correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing is, or this sounds like you are saying. And they, they, then they can say, well, it's not quite what I meant, but, or they can affirm, that's it, that's exactly what I'm saying. That way they feel really well listened to. Um, these are some of the, just the key things. And you can reflect on their thought and their emotion. So when this happened, you felt upset because you were left out, whatever it may be. Or, you know, if it's, it's, the, if it's the loss of a loved one, what it was for me, um, you know, to become one flesh. So that tearing apart that happens with the death of a spouse or divorce is very traumatic. And for me, it was... I don't know what life is going to look like tomorrow, a month, a year, or five years from now. I am clueless, Lord. I just don't know. All I know is all my kids are out of the house, um, and I'm going to bed at night by myself. I don't have a meal to share 
with my spouse any longer. It's those types of things that you recognize that people are really going through, because I went through it, and it wasn't fun. I, it actually got published, but I wrote, a, I wrote a, a devotional on trimming my Christmas tree by myself for the first time after Terry died. She died in August, and it was that in December. And a friend of mine uh, who has a, a worldwide ministry said, you sent this as this year's Christmas letter, but can I use this as one of my daily devotionals? It was so impactful because it speaks to the heart of what people go through. So, so that's really all I have to say. I, um, I hope this is helpful, and I am certainly open for questions. The key thing is, is let's look at time. The first lunch seating is at noon. How many of you are on purple tags? All right, so I want to be attentive to that because that means in about two or three minutes, your kids will be released from day camp child care if you need to pick them up. <clears throat> For the rest of you, you can stay and ask questions. I don't care. Yes, ma'am. I really like what you shared your honors of like what you've done for the Yeah, and so questions I'd be asking for Christ, crisis breeds opportunity is, have both of them been in counseling apart from one another and together and go to the issues? Are there kids involved? Uh, if that answer, if that is a yes, no, no. no. So the other spouse should be praying for that, even if it's going to be, even if it's going to be in the future. What I found so oftentimes is we tend to try and fix things or get a therapist to fix things. If it's a Christian therapist or MFT, uh, they're going to be praying with them. Or with, if it's not, then Oftentimes, we're trying to fix things apart from God on our own. And if you don't turn the situation over to the Lord, who you say you love, and I don't know if these folks are believers or not. Yeah. So that, that's one of the key things is it's got to be covered in prayer because I have watched miraculous things take place in the lives of... I, I got a call from a, a friend of mine who was going to bring his son and daughter-in-law to a couple's retreat here. This is six, seven years ago. And he said, they're on the brink of divorce. I don't believe there's any hope. They're only doing this because my wife and I have asked them and begged them to come. And we just covered that whole thing in prayer. And those two are so happily married now because they worked through some hard, difficult stuff. They knew there were folks praying for them. So I've learned, it, it's like, it's like years ago, because I played professional music forever, and it, the, the guy who led me to Christ was talking to me, and, I, and we were praying about a friend of mine who uh, 
actually played with the Doobie Brothers for years. And he said, and I said, that guy will never come to faith. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, why? You did. And I thought, oh my gosh. It changed my whole pattern of prayer, knowing that God is still in the business of doing miraculous, miraculous things. So uh, I would just be there for them, talk to them, the spouse that's resistant. You know, the hard part for me is that a married couple is modeling what a marriage should look like for their children, for their grown adult children, as hard as it is. And particularly if they profess a faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where prayer and people coming alongside have got to be there. That's not a pat answer. It's just one of the things. Anything else or I'm going to excuse you because we're about 10 till. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead, it's okay. You saw me doing it earlier. Not having control over his body. Yeah. Was there like a panic? Yeah. Was there, and then how did school go for him? I mean, did he continue on? Well, it hit 10 years after because he had been stuffing it. So it was a panic, anxiety attack, curled up in a ball, crying and saying, I have no control and I don't know what to do. And I don't know why it's happening. Because he just said, Dad, I don't know why it's happening. And that's where we had to get him help. Did it fix what? Just kind of be like more open conversations? Oh, yes. It did. And, but it really took, well, my, my close friends are just an hour away from here. And they, they called me one day and they said, Josh has given us permission. His grief is so deep and stuffed that we're going to recommend um, a a Christian um, um, psychiatrist to you because we're not not allowed to prescribe meds, but what he needs is a tiny little dose. And here was the reason why. Just to even him out so there was some stability so he could listen to their counseling and process it and work on it. What was that? Um, so for my son is once he got on that and it kind of eved him out, you know, then they just got him off of it, but it evened him out to be able to process through what they were trying to teach him and walk him through of what he was feeling. And oh my gosh, I mean, it wasn't an easy process. It was a year later that it's like, I got my Josh back, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Because um, the time frame is all different for everybody. It absolutely is. And so when you're, when you're talking to people that are going through that type of, of grief, you, you've seen it in the movies or you've seen growing up, you want to say the right thing and you want to have this like perfect verse or this perfect word from God that will just touch your heart and then they'll just shut up and just, just listen and not, because like you mentioned that verse, that God's going to work all things, uh, but we forget the the, the good, yeah. not my. For your good, for your good at the moment, yeah. But for his glory and his good, and so just like you're saying, 
you're saying being there listening and practicing active listening means I'm, I'm going to try to paraphrase and listen to what they're saying is instead of building a defense, we're building a, a way to fix the problem that they're going yeah. through. Just Well, uh, it's 11.50. Any other? One more question? Yes, ma'am. That's, that's a great question. Um, when, when I've watched people that have come on the other side of that, it's usually through particularly for guys, some guys just don't want to go to counseling. It's a, they feel like it's a sign of weakness. No, I can navigate this. I can just... No, it's a sign of strength that says, I'm not really capable of doing this on my own. I see that now. If I look in the mirror and talk to myself, now you're not doing very good. So you go to a person who has given their life to helping people navigate these types of things, and that's where I've seen it help the most. But you've got to have a willing party to do that and just say, yes, I want to see counselor. Yes? Um, how do you or should you come alongside someone who like, is not really processing their grief? Like, are there ways that you can, like with your son, <clears throat> like stir them into, is that something that you can do? Uh, oh. I think you should, because early on, we talked to Josh. She was asking about, could you hear over there? Um, uh, she was asking, what about those who don't want to or not doing a job of processing their grief, and they're not seeing a counselor? What do you do? And Josh Burns was like that. My son was like that. And he just thought, and he knew the word really well. And yet he, so we kept coming alongside him, and his brother, um, Ryan, who is a pastor in Hawaii, who's here now, he'll be, he may have to sit in for drums tomorrow, I don't know. <laughs> but he's a preaching pastor over there. We talked about it, and we came alongside Josh and just said, Josh, we love you so much that we need to tell you, unless you're willing to do this, he says, no, I'm okay. Unless you're willing to do this, son, it's going to come back to bite you in the butt one of these days. And it did in a huge way. You know what the psychotherapist told us to do? Me and Ryan and Josh take a road trip. Go to your old house in San Clemente. Stand out front and just reminisce and talk about stories. And he said, that will start a process of helping free him up as well. And we did that. The four of us took a four-day trip down there. It was really interesting. And uh, I never would have thought of it. And, and uh, you know, it was good. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I should have opened in prayer. So Lord, uh, as we close now, there's not a person in this room that isn't here because uh, you've kind of put it on their, in their mind and in their hearts to be here just to talk about grieving processes. Lord, and um, I just pray for this group of people that if there are people, whether it's for themselves or whether they're it's for a loved one or they've lost one or whether it's all these other things that we've talked about. That uh, you would just give, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give them words to say, uh, power of prayer, words to come alongside, 
maybe not even words sometime, but just to be there as a listener for someone that could impact their life in, in an eternal way. So, Lord, uh, thank you for the gift of this time, and I just pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're purple, get out of here. You bet.